This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Decoding the Unknown, the show where we decode the unknown. Yes, it's right there in the title. This is the mysterious fate of, I think he's French because there's a L in his name, Louis Le Prince, or Prince. I'm just gonna call him Louis Le Prince because that feels more natural to me and I'm an extremely uh, professional professional. I'm not gonna look it up. The format of the show is one of my writers, Katie. Thank you, Katie, has written me the script. I've never read it before. We're gonna read it together. Do a little exploring, a little decoding. If you enjoy this show, why not leave it a review? Yes, oh, and if you're watching on YouTube, hello, smash that like button, let's jump in. You may not be immediately familiar with this subject's name. Already correct, Katie. Well done. I, I mean, I feel like maybe, but I don't know why. But if you're watching this episode with your eyes, then you might have Louis the Prince to thank for that. Well, because this goes out as a podcast, and more and more people listen to this as a podcast, I see those numbers tick up, which is really nice. Um, so maybe you're not using your eyes to listen to this. I mean, how would you use your eyes to listen to something that makes no sense? But you know what I mean. Well, kind of. Let me explain. Back in the 1880s, technology was advancing and the race was on to capture moving images rather than just photographs. With various different people improving on different aspects of the process, Frenchman nailed it. Louis Le Prince was the first person to capture a moving image on a single camera lens. Excited about the possibilities of his new technology, he planned to rejoin his family in the United States and show off his camera and short films to the public for the first time, but he never made it. In September 1890, Le Prince boarded a train from Dijon to Paris and was never seen again. Wait, didn't Thomas Edison invent this? And Thomas Edison was also like famous for like borrowing or like, you know, well, I feel like Thomas Edison gets a bit of a hard time of things, right? Because people like, he stole all his inventions and it's like, wait, didn't he just own a company that invented that's like saying, you know, like, I don't know, Lockheed Martin and stuff don't invent planes. They're the people who work for them invent planes. And that's true. But it's also like, you know, Lockheed Martin gets lots of the credit because they're the one like paying for it all. Right? Does that make sense? Is that even correct? I don't even know. Maybe it's not even Thomas Edison who's involved in this story, but I get the feeling it is because I feel like I'm vaguely familiar with this. I think, did we say he was on a train? Yeah, he boarded a train. I feel like I know this story a little bit. So what happened to the newly minted father of cinematography? And could Thomas Edison have anything to do with it? I knew it. I knew it. I'm definitely familiar with this. Some backgrounds. First of all, thanks to YouTube commenter TJ Force 9 for suggesting this topic. Now let's get a bit of background on the key figures in the story, starting with LLP himself. Louis Le Prince was born in Metz in France in 1841. Growing up, he spent a lot of time with his father's friend, Louis de Guerre. If that name rings a bell, it doesn't. That's because he invented the Daguerre type, the first commercially successful way of producing photographs. Yeah, I'm not going to give myself too hard of a time for not knowing that. That sounds like one of those questions, you know, that comes up on a, uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Like, for £64,000, tell me, who was the man who invented photographs? And then his name's in there, and you're like, I don't know. 
50-50. It doesn't help at all. This sparked young Louis' interest in photography and chemistry, and he later attended Leipzig University, where he met Yorkshireman John Whitley. The two became friends, with Le Prince eventually moving to Leeds to join John's father's company. Joseph Whitley, John's dad, was a metallurgist and engineer and held around 50 patents for various things. What a big brain. As well as his son John, he also had a daughter Elizabeth, and Louis and Elizabeth got married in 1869. That guy's right in there. He's like, made friends with the son, got employed by the dad, married the daughter. That guy's like, his life is entangled with the. If he gets fired, if he gets divorced, if he has a falling out with his mate, that's going to be difficult. She was an artist, and they lived together and started the Leeds Technical School of Art, which combined their skills and interests, and they perfected the process of getting colored photographs printed onto pottery, ceramics, and glass think commemorative plates for royals and stuff like that <laughs> yeah i find this stuff so tacky it's uh, it's also it's like one of these weird things that sit in, sits in that like place of somehow being expensive and fancy but also super tacky like gold taps in bathrooms expensive somehow nice but also i would never put that in my house and like a mate of mine used to run a, a shop that sold like all sorts of different like fancy ass china he'd, he'd make fun of it i'd make fun of him it was fun and people genuinely bought those like they collected them and they'd put them on their mantelpiece like i don't know like old charles's withered face on a plate and he's like you're gonna eat off that god no that's disgusting eating off his face Jesus, just looking at his face wants me to to make me sick. I kind of just say this stuff to be like, because I, I really like the fact that like a few hundred years ago, that would have got my head chopped off. And now you could just be like, fuck the king. I love that. In fact, there's a time capsule under Cleopatra's needle in London that was apparently made by Joseph Whitley's company that includes a portrait of Queen Victoria produced by Louis and Elizabeth. There's also a random assortment of other things, such as some tobacco pipes, children's toys, and 12 photographs of what were apparently judged to be the best-looking English women of the time, which would be quite interesting to see now. <laughs> Crack it open! Anyway, in 1881, the Le Princes left Leeds with the bright lights of New York, with Louis acting as the US agent for the Whitley Company. I don't know if he spent much time doing that as he was simultaneously very immersed in his hobby of photography specifically designing a motion picture camera or a camera capable of recording motion anyway this kind of sounds related to what he's supposed to be it's like yeah i'm supposed to be like selling like fancy plates with queen victoria's face on probably don't go down a bundle in 1880s uh america so is that what shall i do is that let's make a video camera it. Why not? It was in 1887 that Prince managed to record a few seconds of a man walking slightly unnaturally around a corner. This was titled, Man Walking Around a Corner. <laughs> well, say what you see. He used a 16-lens behemoth of a camera and gelatin film. Also in 1887, Prince returned to Leeds and at 160 Woodhouse Lane, he and a couple of collaborators fine-tuned his camera down to a single lens and used paper film. This design was patented in 1888. I feel like we're going the other way. It's like now, nowadays, it's like, I think my phone has like four cameras in it, which is amazing. I know they all do different things and all that stuff, but it's like, we're going the other way. And just the, the cameras on these phones blow my, like I've got a, uh, I've got like, oh, it's not so fancy anymore because it's like many years old, but I've got a pretty good compact camera. And it's like, do I use that at all anymore? No, because for like point and shoot, that iPhone, whatever it is, the, the I guess it's the new one. Yeah, it's pretty new. And it's like, it just does it's just unbelievably good. This design was patented in 1888. The first short motion picture captured by this camera still survives today and is called Round Hay Garden Scene. For some reason, I have seen this. 
Uh, I can't really describe it because it's just a bunch of people like in a garden doing like it's just a few seconds of them just moving around. It's just a couple of seconds of a group of family and friends messing around in the garden of Le Prince's in-laws. Definitely a home movie vibe going on there. There's also a short clip of Le Prince's son Adolf playing a type of accordion called a Melodion, which was probably shot on the same day or close to it. Later that year, Le Prince set up his camera to film a few seconds of life going by on Leeds Bridge, and the building he recorded it from has immortalized him with a blue plaque stating, Louis Emi Auguste Le Prince came to Leeds in 1866, where he experimented in cinematography. In 1888, he but Jesus Christ, this is a long ass plaque. I've seen these blue plaques. Normally they're small, they're like Charles Dickens lived here, and some dates. <laughs> this is lengthy. In 1888, he patented a one-lens camera with which he filmed Leeds Bridge from this British Waterways building. These were probably the world's first successful moving pictures. Hedging your bets there with probably, but as there have been no earlier examples found, I think we're on safe ground here. Yeah, as I understand it, the, uh, the garden scene is understood to be the first ever video which is why I probably know about it. And look how far we've taken the medium. Now we're at the beautiful stage of decoding the unknown. The pinnacle of video. And podcasts, of course. Pinnacle of everything, to be honest. <laughs> if you've been thinking the title Father of Cinematography seems a bit of a stretch, get this. Along with another inventor, James Longley, the prince always working on the prototypes of a film projector with the eventual aim of being able to show films via projection for large audiences. So there cinematography or what yeah I, I don't know he's the guy who invented the first video camera I, i'm very happy to call him father of cinematography it seems that he is in 1890 le prince decided to move back to the states and oh, jesus christ this is like back in the day this guy's spending a lot of time on boats <laughs> weeks and weeks on boats who had been there for the whole time oh my god yeah back in the day people were like i'm going off to england dear <laughs> i'm going off to the new world my dear i'll see you in 17 years okay <laughs> People just like would go for years to do shit. Now it's like I go away for the weekends and I'm like, oh, I just want to go home now. Can I go home? Come on. So he's asking his wife to help him organize an exhibition of his films in Manhattan for later that year. Before he left for New York, Le Prince wanted to visit his brother in France to sort out some things relating to their mother's will. She had died, leaving the brothers a nice townhome in Paris, and Louis was going to sell his share to his brother Albert. On the 16th of September, 1890, Le Prince took the train from his brother's place in Dijon to Paris, where he was going to rendezvous with friends and travel with them back to England. When they didn't arrive in Paris, his friends had no real choice but to go on without him. Ah, remember the days before mobile phones? Besides, <laughs> yeah, you'd be like, well, he's 10 minutes late, let's go. <laughs> if your M was late, you either just waited for them or gave up and assumed they'd find you later if they were still even coming. And 99% of the time, there were no issues. Anyway, with no quick way to contact people overseas, his family family in New York just thought he was still on schedule and went to meet his ship when it arrived in early November. Oh my god, no, he's not coming. He was he disappeared on a train months ago. No Le Prince was on board, only his father-in-law, Joseph Whitley, and a cousin Whitley said that Le Prince had missed the original connection but couldn't be too far behind, but as days went by, nobody heard anything from Louis. Eventually, friends checked his workshop in Leeds, but it was clearly undisturbed, and with communications taking so long, it was at least a couple of months before Le Prince was declared missing. Also, because multiple countries were involved, Le Prince's wife Elizabeth ended up spending huge amounts of time and money contacting French and British police, but no trace of Le Prince or his luggage containing patent plans and his films was ever found. Thomas Edison 
Let's now jump to the other character in this tale in a way as smooth as the action from one of Louis Le Prince's cameras. <laughs> I'm gonna guess they weren't so smooth. Like that garden scene is like cha 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 cha. It's probably like three frames a second. Uh, by which I mean not very smooth and kind of jerky, in fact. Although you've definitely smoothed it over with that little joke there, Katie. I like that. I knew practically nothing about Thomas Edison prior to researching this story, but it turns out he's a bit of a sneaky bastard. You've probably heard of him via the light bulb, Edison versus Tesla, etc. Well, it seems that he actually got a lot of his success due to the extreme amount of patents he took out and his canny use of patent law. He held over a thousand patents, either solely or jointly, in his lifetime, which is a lot. In case you were wondering, oh, the guy 50 had 50 earlier. I called him a big brain. Look, Thomas Edison, whatever you think of him, he definitely was. He had a big, big brain. Not smooth at all. Very crinkly. So how does he fit into today's story? Well, in the 1880s, Edison and William Dixon, although it was mainly Dixon, were working on something called a kinetograph, which, according to the Museum of Modern Art, at least, was the world's first motion picture camera. Mm-mm, kind of beg to differ there, MoMA. Watch this episode, why don't you? Come on, MoMA, get your together. Do some research, MoMA. What are you good for? This used celluloid film and the resulting movie could be viewed via a kinetoscope, which was like a peephole thing that only one person could look through at a time. Not really the same thing as what the prince was envisioning at around the same period. But anyway, Edison being Edison, he was getting patents filed in the United States for moving picture stuff left, right, and center. I don't, I'm, I'm like, yep, yeah, pretty smart move right there. You'd be like, whoa, moving pictures? <laughs> could I patent that? Yes, patent that shit right now. I smell money. He held patents for the technologies needed to advance movie making and motion picture cameras and also how screening movies would take place. If anyone was working independently on some aspect of cinematography and tried to file a patent in the US, Edison could counter and sue them or force them to join his consortium, which is what ended up happening in a lot of cases. He headed up what became known as the Motion Picture Patents Company, or MPPC, which basically held a monopoly over the US domestic film industry and had a chokehold over licensing agreements, access to film stock, and production content. I mean, yeah, look, big brain when it came to business. Because <laughs> that is, it's kind of like pretty shitty and monopoly and is not good for competition and anyone who wants to get into the industry. But in terms of like lining his own pockets, that is just patenting that stuff is such a big brain move. Sounds awful. Thankfully though, the MPPC was actually too cumbersome a body to keep up with all of the litigation involving independent filmmakers setting up shop in other areas of the states, and in the end it was prosecuted in an antitrust case and deemed an illegal restriction of trade and was dissolved in 1918. Excellent. Like, I'm I'm generally like pretty, uh, um, what do you call it without sounding like a dick? I, I generally think businesses and free market does sort itself out a lot of the time but there's definitely cases where the government does need to step in it's like when some guys wrapped all this up in like patents that is that feel slightly dodgy that's great I feel like that's what it should be for. Filmmakers not wanting to bend a knee to Edison in the early 20th century decided their best way was to try their luck somewhere far away from his reach where judges might be a bit less likely to agree with his stifling patent laws and hey, where the weather was a bit nicer than on the East Coast. I think I remember this part of the story and that's why like Hollywood and Los Angeles being like where films are made is the thing because Edison's lawyers were on the East Coast and they were like, let's just f*** off to California and hopefully they won't follow us. Yes! This was the beginnings of Hollywood, which is kind of ironic as it's now seen as a churning hotbed of mass market brain dead fodder. But there you go. What goes around comes around. So, yeah, that's a bit harsh. Hollywood makes some good movies. Or maybe they just movie, make movies I like, like stupid action movies and spy thrillers. <laughs>
It's like, how did I get a sewer? It's like, oh no, it's just so slow moving and it makes me feel things. I hate feeling things. Just show me a fighter jet with Tom Cruise in it. Come on. Oh, what was a movie that I saw lately that I really, I only saw it because Nicolas Cage was in it. And it was a uh, pig, pig, where he's like, he's got a truffle pig. It's so good. <laughs> and it's like, oh my God, it's so sad. I don't want to feel such sadness. Anyway, the point here is that Edison was patent master extreme and wasn't above using other people and even poaching ideas to get a jump on the competition when it came to patent law and how he could make money from it and stop other people being more successful than him. Did he go a few steps further and actually bump competitors off though? Seems far-fetched. He was very busy doing other stuff, but the MPPC was not above hiring people to violently stop people using non-MPPC related filmmaking. Yeah, kind of like bashing, you know, being a little bit threatening to people who are like, like the unions and stuff. Like unions to non-unions. It feels like that kind of like shady world that I feel like I've touched on in videos before. That for some reason like New York comes to New York City comes to mind with all of that stuff. But then to step over that line to like murdering your competition, that's that's heavy. That's a big jump. <laughs> in the book Flickering Empire, How Chicago Invented the U.S. Film Industry, authors Michael Glover-Smith and Adam Seltzer state, the Edison Trust also allegedly resorted to hiring thugs with mob connections, the notorious Goon Squad, to enforce MPPC policy. According to Chicago filmmaker and writer William Grishin, goon tactics were employed to break the backs of competition, equipment and films were destroyed, property wrecked, lives threatened. Yikes indeed. Here's another little tidbit. In 1890, when Le Prince disappeared, the the lawyers that had represented him and helped him with U.S. patents for his invention, Seward and Guthrie, were now working for none other than Thomas Edison. Sounds, uh, this, I mean, it's dodgy. Do you think Thomas Edison had killed or like disappeared? I don't. That is such a huge jump. Even it just being his company doing, it, I feel that's a big. That's a big leap. Although, what happened to him? Maybe he just fell off the train. I feel like that's going to be a theory. I feel like maybe that's actually what happens, if my vague memory is correct. I mean, I don't think we know, but I think people theorize that he just fell off a train or some sh The theories. Let's see. All right, let's get back to the main story of what happened to Louis Le Prince. There are several theories as to what might have happened and why, and at least one is not very likely, but I'm sure someone will bring it up in the comments if I don't mention even a tiny detail about a story, so here you go. Theory one, his family made him go into hiding for being gay. Okay, well, they'd have definitely like at least taken his like suitcase and the patents because they were worth quite a lot of money, I'm sure. They weren't like, no, we've got to make you go away and just take all your useful invention stuff with you that we're definitely not going to capitalize on. That makes no sense. I haven't even read why this doesn't make sense yet. Already doesn't make sense. See, not very likely. This theory has been discounted by all and sundry, but there is reference to it in the historical record, so here we go. Apparently, a famous historian visited a library in Dijon in France one day and had a conversation with the director there, but it was kept under wraps until 1977. I don't know who this historian was or when he visited Dijon, but Dijon was where Le Prince's brother lived, so there may be a connection there. A journalist called Leo Savage saw the note about a conversation in 1977 and it said something like, Le Prince died in Chicago in 1898. Voluntary disappearance at the family's request. 
homosexuality. Although it was presumably in French, that means that Le Prince did make it back to the States after all, but just lived his own life apart from his loved ones until his death. While homosexuality was viewed very negatively in the 19th century, there had been no rumors about Le Prince's sexuality, and he chose a weird time to go off the radar as he was about to go public with his new films and camera technology. If the family had asked him to go away, why did they spend so much effort trying to find him when he didn't arrive as planned? This theory has no other evidence surrounding it, so I'm willing to chuck it away as a red herring. Yeah, it seems like total nonsense, to be honest, moving on. Theory 2. He killed himself. This theory is not at the top of the list. I've seen differing accounts of Le Prince's financial situation, from that the work he was doing in the States was profitable, to that he was severely in debt because he spent too much time working on his cameras. Either way, suicide doesn't make much sense here. I know that you can never tell what someone's thinking, and even if everything seems totally normal, it might all change in a split second, but Le Prince was getting ready to move back to the States and had all his ducks in a row to finally show his life's work to the public. All his gear was with him and his luggage was never found, so did he intentionally jump off the train at some point and take all traces of his work with him? Nobody reported anything suspicious on the train. In fact, nobody reported even seeing him at all, which is quite surprising as he was over six foot tall, which was pretty unusual for the time. His brother, Albert, who had spent time with him just before he disappeared, did believe that he had killed himself, although he was never able to give specific details as to why he thought this. There was a body found in a river in 1890, a photo of which was rediscovered in 2003. It bears a likeness to Le Prince, however, the height is different, and if there's one thing you can't change easily, it's your height. Yeah, it doesn't matter if he looks exactly like him. If he's not his height, it's not f***ing him. So although it's unidentified, this wasn't him. I guess we can't 100% rule suicide out, but other factors point to more likely or at least more entertaining conclusions. So let's get into those. Theory 3. He was whacked by Edison. Remember Thomas Edison and his goon squad connections? Is it so far-fetched that he had something happen to Le Prince to clear the way for him to become the undisputed master and commander of cinematography? Well, when you put it like that, I suppose it does sound a bit far-fetched. However, there are enough connections between him and Edison that there might be some truth to this theory. Okay, we know it's an undisputed fact that Le Prince had definitely got the jump on future more well-known names such as Edison and the Lumiere brothers or when it came to capturing motion on film. I don't really know how this played into Edison's patent monopoly, but it seems that Le Prince might have had some sort of early legal foothold as he was already preparing to exhibit his work in the States. Maybe Edison's kinetograph wasn't similar enough to the single-lens camera developed by Le Prince, so Le Prince would be able to go on his merry way and make Edison's kinetograph and kinetoscope obsolete before it even got going. I'm sure that Edison was aware of Le Prince's achievements, even just on paper. Elizabeth Elizabeth Le Prince, Louis's wife, confirms that lawyers who had seen patent applications and detailed information about Le Prince's camera were working for Edison at the time of Le Prince's death. One of these lawyers wrote to her in 1899, confirming that he had seen what Louis had been developing a few years earlier, but couldn't really remember much about it, so not to worry. I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but there does seem like some sort of conflict of interest here, or industrial espionage, or just plain old stealing. Yeah, it does seem a bit suspicious, like those lawyers, it's like they saw the plans already and they're the ones now filing Edison's patents. I mean, it's like, it's a bit suspicious, isn't it? Unfortunately for the Le Prince family, they couldn't make any headway with his patents or technology in the US as he had disappeared and nobody had been found. As he was missing and not officially dead, they couldn't actually declare him dead for seven years, leaving them unable to profit from anything he produced and allowing his competitors to run roughshod over his ideas and basically use his inventions for themselves. Oh my god, that would suck. 
for the family. That is some crazy loophole right there. In another Edison twist, the man he developed the initial kinetoscope with, William Dixon, founded a rival company called the Biograph Company, later incorporated to form the American Mutoscope and Biograph Company. While they did become part of Edison's MPPC juggernaut, Dixon filed litigation against Edison in 1898 to stop him from crowning himself the legal discoverer or inventor of cinematography, which I believe would have allowed him to claim royalties for basically every motion picture ever shown. Something like that, anyway. There were a lot of royalties indeed. That's got to be such a good position to be in. It's like, just like, that can't be forever, right? There's going to be a limit on that. But even for the short time, you're going to make such a wild ass amount of money. That's great. I mean, for him. The Le Prince family supported Dixon in his claim with Louis's son, Adolphe, traveling back to Leeds and carrying out a lot of research in order to prove Edison was not the originator of cinematography. He also gave evidence in the legal proceedings. It was kind of a double-edged sword, though, as they couldn't exhibit any of Le Prince's cameras due to filing regulations, and by proving Le Prince had developed this method, it would just name a different person as the inventor of cinematography, not helping Dixon's case at all. In 1901, the court ruled in Edison's favor. That same year, Adolphe was found dead of a gunshot wound while out with his duck hunting rifle near the family's summer home in New York, he was 29. Was he murdered because he was causing ripples with Edison? This isn't known, but his mother at least believed he was killed for speaking out against him. Oh my god. Edison's like <laughs> Putin back in the day. <laughs> if something happened to me, oh, I fell off his balcony, didn't he? Oh no. Allegedly. Thankfully, the next year, Edison's court victory was overturned, so yeah, far fetched. And yet not. I'll also tack on here that I came across a reference of someone finding a note in Edison's diary that was him admitting to arranging a hit on Le Prince. This appears to be from a piece of creative writing, however, not real life, so let's move on. Look, Edison is big enough brain to not write that shit in his diary. Don't write that down, don't write down your crimes. I've got a podcast, another podcast called The Casual Criminalist. The number of times that criminals write down their crimes is unbelievable. The number of times they just get caught because they made a little note. Murdered Jeff today. <laughs> Like, what are you doing? You're insane. Just never write it down. Never speak of it to anybody. And just forget it ever happened. That's what I've done. <laughs> Theory four, his brother did it. You might have been jumping up and down yelling it was his brother this whole time. <laughs> no, I haven't because apparently I don't follow along enough. I don't even remember what his brother's got to do with this. Well, now's your time to shine. Albert Le Prince was the last person to see his brother alive. He had, oh yeah, they were all going to America on that boat or whatever. No, that was his uncle, wasn't it? Oh, I don't remember. I'm sorry. I should pay more attention. Look, you probably don't remember either unless you've got a massive brain, so... Congratulations if you do. He had stated that he saw him depart on the train that would arrive in time to meet up with his friends in Paris. He literally has said that he waved him off, so we have to assume that Le Prince caught the correct train and disappeared somewhere en route. Unless his brother's like, no, no, he definitely got on that train. He's definitely not in my roof. He's not under the floorboards of my living room. He's not in the basement. So what if he never caught the train and Albert is just making it up? As previously mentioned, Louis Le Prince was quite a striking character at over six feet tall. With a hat, coat, and luggage, he would definitely have stuck in some people's minds. But yet nobody came forward to confirm him having been on the train or even at the station. Albert said that he thought his brother had killed himself, presumably by leaping from the train. If that was the case, why didn't he mention this to the police at the time or try to stop his brother leaving or mention it to Le Prince's family? Yes, posting letters was slow, but they never heard anything about Louis potentially killing himself from Albert. Did Albert kill his brother? If so, 
why. Their mother had left them a property in Paris in her will, which they were sorting out prior to Louis's disappearance. Louis wanted Albert to pay him his half, but apparently Albert was unable to do this at the time. Did this escalate into violence? While it does seem suspicious that Albert was the last one to see Louis alive, relations between the two were supposedly very good. Both men were outwardly successful, so it seems unlikely that they would have come to murderous blows over money. But money is one of the things people come to murderous blows over all the time, and this Paris townhouse they'd inherited was worth a lot. If one or the other man was in debt, this would really strain their relationship. I saw a couple of articles that referenced the fact that Louis had been in debt to a creditor in Leeds for some time and had been unable to pay back his mounting balance. This portion of the townhouse would have been a great help to Albert, so if Albert couldn't pay up, this would definitely have raised tensions. Albert would have gained nothing from killing Louis, financially or otherwise. Presumably, on Louis's death, his portion of the townhouse would go to his dependents, not Albert. Nothing ever came of any police investigations into the disappearance, so I guess we'll just have to park this theory somewhere in a grey area. And here's another. I don't know, this one, I don't like, that does seem like the most likely so far. The conspiracy theory, Thomas Edison stuff is like, yeah, maybe on paper he benefits the most. But isn't it, it's always the family. Like, if someone's been killed, it's always like, well, look at the family first. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, and he was also the last one to see him. It's looking pretty suspicious for you, Albert. Theory five, a random attack. According to modern-day living relatives of Louis Le Prince, they don't believe his brother did him in. His great-great-granddaughter, Laurie Snyder, believes that Le Prince simply took a later train than planned. Arriving in Paris too late to meet up with friends, he maybe took some other transport like a handsome cab and came to a bad end. Either the driver or random ne'er-do-well took advantage of a lone traveler late at night and either his body was never found or it's never been identified. While Paris was not necessarily a murder hub, there were reports of other attacks and muggings at the same time Le Prince went missing, so maybe he just got really, really unlucky. This doesn't explain Albert Le Prince asserting that he saw Louis on the correct earlier train, however. Maybe Louis got off the train at an earlier stop for some reason or hopped off after Albert had left. Unfortunately, we'll never know. Louis Le Prince was declared dead in 1897. While he was at the forefront of developing motion picture technology, it was an industry that was evolving in different places at the same time, and other people's advances in cameras, film, and projection devices were heralding in this new era of capturing motion. Did Le Prince get there first? Yes, he did. By several years. Did he give up his burgeoning fame to live out his last few years in shame because he was gay? I don't think so. Was he murdered because of his invention? It's intriguing but doubtful. Did his brother murder him over an argument about money? According to close family members, this is also doubtful. But I'm like, maybe. I think that one's a good maybe there. Did Le Prince throw it all away on the verge of potential success? Potentially, but also doubtful. Was he attacked by strangers in a random act of violence? Maybe. I think the random act of violence and oh god i also think the one he was just like he'd set all this stuff up and he was like do i want to be rich and famous do i want to invent this because then i'm never going to be left alone i'm going to be famous maybe he just really didn't want that and he was like no i'm just done i'm just going to disappear that's also potentially up there i don't think so i'd say that would be third most likely for me after his brother murdered him uh he was attacked randomly and the third one he just decided to leave those are my three top-ranked things. Basically, I have no real idea what happened to him, but at least he hasn't totally disappeared from the historical narrative, and now you can watch his very short clips on YouTube, where I even saw one that's been improved with neural networks and coloured to make it better. Without Le Prince, the film industry would probably have evolved into what it is now anyway, but his early ideas for capturing motion, projection, and use of film strips were visionary. And that's where today's episode ends. Thank you so much for watching. As I mentioned at the beginning, if you'd like to leave this show a review, please do so. If you're watching on YouTube, like, subscribe, and I'll see you next time.
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.